This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Well, thank you, Doug. And uh, nice to see some familiar faces here, many that I don't know. Nice to see you, Kathy. And um, yeah, and Doug, and just to pretend I'm back in your midst in, at Jacoji. Um, and I, I love seeing the Zendo. I have missed seeing the Zendo. <laughs> I, I wish we were all sitting together today, but um, this is the next best thing. So thank you for inviting us. Right. So we just had our spring uh, session, Buddha's birthday session this weekend. And uh, as I told everybody yesterday, when we concluded, I asked everyone to imagine uh, being at Jokoji and sitting in a circle. So it's nice to actually see Jokoji and know that you are sitting in a circle. So um, this morning, Misha and I decided that what we would do would be to share a little bit of, <clears throat> excuse me, of what we've been talking about with our Sangha. And uh, we have uh, this year created a, um, uh, a way of doing discussion together. We used to have uh, every Monday night used to be what we called our retreat night. And with the advent of COVID, we realized that we were many of us always on retreat. And so that instead we would take the retreat night and have it be a discussion night. And what we usually do is that uh, we each talk um, for 10 minutes or so, and then we open it up to everybody else to discuss the topic that we're talking about. So that's what we're hoping to do today. And is Nico here? Nico was going to facilitate. Oh, there you are. You're called, oh, you're called Jokoji Events now. <laughs> I see. Okay. It's so her Dharma you name. <laughs> <laughs> so she will help us facilitate a little bit uh, when we get to that part. So what we have been um, studying this year have been the paramitas and what better opportunity than to practice uh, with these practices of um, compassionate bodhisattva action than in our world right now. And in particular, we took up at Sashin um, the paramita of patience. Again, just so appropriate right now. And so to begin, I just want to quote Shantideva, who probably wrote maybe the first um, uh, uh, commentary on the paramitas. And more recently, we've been studying Aitken Roshi's commentary, but uh, Shantideva was probably the first in the um, probably seventh uh, or eighth century. And he wrote regarding patience, whatever befalls me, I shall not disturb my mental joy. For having been made unhappy, I shall not accomplish what I wish and my virtues will decline. Why be unhappy about something if it can be remedied? And what is the use of being unhappy about something if it cannot be remedied? So 
According to Aitken Roshi, there are three aspects to this practice of patience. The ability to endure personal hardship, patience with others, and acceptance of truth. And does that not apply right now? Um, in these times, we have realized more deeply than ever how we are not separate from others, that we suffer together. And this year, we've all been faced with personal hardship. I know from talking with Michael Newhall the other day that you're down to a bare <laughs> uh, skeleton staff there. And um, there's been separation, I'm sure, for you as well as for all of us from loved ones, loss of work, especially loss of connection is so difficult. Loss of those who have passed away this year and some of us have been unable to mourn them together with family. And just the simple act of going to the store a year ago meant dealt with what felt to me at the time like overwhelming fear and not knowing how to be in this world. And so through all this hardship, uh, patience with others and with ourselves is paramount. And the hardship is also making acceptance of truth a challenge. How many times we might have said to ourselves, I don't want it to be this way. So the Dalai Lama is known to have said that compassion is not just a luxury in our world, it's a necessity. And forbearance or patience is an aspect of compassionate practice. It brings our attention to how we tend to want everything right now, everything our way, and we want to be comfortable, safe, and most of all, we want to be in control. And when we deny truth, as we see is happening so much around us, this resistance to what is it just increases suffering. So to turn towards what is, which is our practice, sitting still with not knowing, this is cultivating patience, forbearance for the world as it is. So COVID has been our great teacher this year. As I say, we've been deprived of connection and we know from neuroscience and attachment studies the connection promotes our ability to tolerate stress and trauma. So how fortunate we are that we have this practice of Zazen to help us become re-regulated in this time of dysregulation. So practicing this Prajnak Shanti includes, it's aimed at accepting suffering that we experience dukkha, the whole world experiences dukkha. And so we cultivate forbearance, holding up under the weight of suffering, not just putting up with it, growing with it. Shantideva in his way of the Bodhisattva expressed gratitude for those who are most difficult for him because they serve to deepen his practice. I remember that when I was first practicing and I heard that teaching, it made me very unhappy. I did not want to be grateful to those who I thought were the cause of my unhappiness, but they really did serve to deepen my practice. And Norman Fisher writes in his book, Sandha Paramitas, 
that difficult times are the most fruitful for spiritual practice. So I suppose in that sense, we should be grateful for these teachings of COVID. But there's one more translation of, uh, of Kashanti, patience, which I wanna share. And that comes from Thich Nhat Hanh. Thich Nhat Hanh translates that word as inclusiveness. And he writes, inclusiveness is the capacity to receive, embrace, and transform. And I believe it better conveys the Buddha's teaching. When we practice inclusiveness, we don't have to suffer or forbear even when we have to embrace suffering and injustice. The other person says or does something that makes us angry. He inflicts on us some kind of injustice. But if your heart is large enough, you don't have to suffer. If your heart is large, if you have understanding and compassion, any word or deed will not have the power to make you suffer. You will be able to receive, embrace, and transform it in an instant. So how important this teaching from Thai is about inclusiveness. Can we at this time when there are different opinions, even different versions of reality and truth, can we still include everyone? Will I be unhappy? Sometimes I am because I can't get everyone to agree with me because I see injustice and lack of care for the earth. As Ty says, we can embrace suffering and injustice, included in our hearts if our hearts are big enough. And then our actions will come from compassion rather than anger. So I will end my portion here by quoting a poem from Izumi Shikibu, who was a 10th century uh, nun, a Japanese nun. She wrote, although the wind blows terribly here, the moonlight also leaks between the roof planks of this ruined house. Although the wind blows terribly here, the moonlight also leaks between the roof planks of this ruined house. And Jane Hirschfield comments on this poem. She says, you know, we can shut out the wind. We can board up our house, but then we also shut out the moonlight. So in this spirit of inclusiveness, can we include everyone? Can we expand and include and have the moon as well as the terrible wind? So, Nisha, will you say a few words? So frankly, I think the moonlight coming through the cracks has been what has made it possible for me to make it through this year. Um, because unlike many people, instead of being home, sheltering in place, my job has actually required me to be at school. 
And we went back in October in a hybrid format and we're about to go into a full day a week after next. And I took on the job of being the pandemic coordinator for the school, which last March didn't seem like that big a deal because we all thought it was gonna be over in a couple of months. And then we thought it might be over in three or four months. And then it finally began to sink in that it was not going away. And it has been a huge job with a lot of responsibility. But as my other director said, how perfect that a monk and a librarian, which of course was my former job, should take over this uh, position because I am always looking for the moonlight. I'm sometimes accused of being a little too optimistic, <laughs> but it's the moonlight, it's the silver linings that I think have made it possible for me to be patient at times when it's been very difficult to be patient. As Jill pointed out, uh, you know, we don't like it. Nobody likes it. And unless you've had some training in patience, as we all have, uh, the idea that this is going on and on just becomes overwhelming. And it, it really just exacerbates our worst traits. You know, I just read this morning about the man who plowed his car into a couple of Capitol policemen because he's been hearing voices. And I'm sure that those voices get louder when you're in isolation. So it's interesting to me when, when I was thinking about patience that the two characters that make up this word are sword and heart. And this is because the sword the sword is our tendency to retort, to lash out, to jump in before things are clear, but it's pointed directly at our own heart. And when we get backed into a corner or when we feel like we have no room to move, it's quite possible for that sword to slip and it severs our own heart. And so many of us during this last year have been deeply suffering for lots of different reasons. And one of the main ones I think is an inability to process our grief. Um, you know, probably like many of you, I've, I've lost three family members just in the last six months. And I wasn't able to be at any of their bedsides because of COVID. And in fact, one of them was my own mother. <laughs> the idea that I couldn't be with my mother when she was dying is, I haven't begun to process this. So we're all in a state of mourning, whether it's for the loss of loved ones, the loss of the job, the loss of our freedom to do the things that we normally do, the loss, as Jill says, of connection. Um, I just read this morning, actually, that there is a new word that I hadn't heard, which is describing the inability to take pleasure in activities, mm -hmm. and that it is um, now a major diagnosis that people are, are so uh, numbed 
and so inured to their life. They don't know what day it is. They don't know what time it is. It, they stop caring. And so the traumatic effects of this year go way beyond the numbers of COVID deaths. And we will, you know, especially with children, um, there's going to be PTSD in major amounts that we are gonna be dealing with for years to come. So all of this is out there. And then there's patience. <laughs> and so because I have actually been at school and been with people every day and often in a state where it wasn't completely, you know, feeling safe. You know, we put all the PPEs in place, but my teachers were only vaccinated in the last few weeks. So they were putting their lives on the line and many of them were unhappy about it. And everybody was getting tired. And when you get tired, really exhausted, your level of patience goes down and that sword begins to move a little bit closer to the heart and you are less likely to respond with patience. So I don't, I don't know if you can see it, but there's a, a scroll behind me and you probably can't see the details, but it is a bare tree with a little park bench at the base. And this was painted um, by a painting master in the 60s whose name was Saburo Hasegawa. And Saburo was the first tea teacher of my tea teacher, Peg. And so this scroll was made for her and then eventually given to me. And I, at some point soon, I'm going to have to roll it up because a bear tree no longer is seasonal. But it reminds me of one of the best patience teachings and teachers that I have ever had. Uh, if I had to name one quality that Peg had in abundance, it was patience. So when we would be having a tea lesson, she was not a teacher who said, no, don't do that, or that's wrong. That was not her way at all. Instead, when you get to a point and, you know, in tea, things happen in a very particular order and you'd start to move towards something and all you'd hear her say was, not yet. And then you would immediately stop and then you would be patiently looking around at the tea things and thinking to yourself, okay, if it's not that, then what is it? So on the one hand, she gave us that time to be patient with ourself without any kind of judgment. It wasn't that you were doing it wrong or right, or it was just not yet. And then at the same time, that not yet gave us this ability to discover for ourselves. Oh, Right, I can't move that until I've moved this. Oh, and the chances of you then remembering it the next time were so much greater rather than someone telling you what to do. So I think back to that. I think of Peg and I think of how patient she was with all of us. There was one student that she had, which 
I now believe that this person had serious learning challenges. And having been at school as long as I do, I think I can even figure out what they were. But when she would arrive, it was as if she had never done tea ceremony before, even though she had been there years before I arrived. She could not retain the information. And I never once saw Peg be annoyed, irritated, angry. She would just guide her through. And while I sadly have not been able to follow my teacher's instructions very well, I think I'm probably a lot more patient than I would be because of her teaching. Because here's the interesting thing about patience. It cannot be practiced alone. Patience is only tried in the fire of being with others. And there's that really famous, you know, little anecdote about, you know, you're in the boat on a river in the fog. It's so dark, you can't see anything. And then suddenly another boat rams into yours and you're like, oh, what's the matter with you? Don't you know how to? And then you realize that the boat is empty. And then it's like, oh, oh, I see. It was just an empty boat. But if there had been a person in the boat, that would have been a different matter. So the way that we practice patience is bounded by the fact that it has to do with our relationships to others. I believe it's possible to be a generous person and maybe no one ever knows how generous you are. You don't actually have to have the interaction with the other person for there to be generosity, but with patience, you actually have to have at least one other person in order to practice it. So there's a, a very famous story uh, that the Dalai Lama uh, and his Tibetan teachers often share with their students. You've probably heard it, but it's always a good one. Uh, this is about a, um, an encounter between a hermit living way up in the mountains and a herdsman. One day a herdsman happened to pass by this, this hermit's cage cave and said, uh, what are you doing out here all alone in the middle of nowhere? And the hermit replied, oh, I am meditating in that voice that we all hate. <laughs> well, what are you meditating on? The herdsman wanted to know. On patience, said the hermit. And then there was a moment of silence. And after a while, the herdsman decided to leave. But just as he turned to go, he looked back at the hermit and shouted, by the way, you go to hell. <gasps> what do you mean? You go to hell, the hermit shouted back. <laughs> the herdsman laughed <laughs> and reminded the hermit that he was supposed to be practicing patience. So this is our key challenge. This is a situation that arises for all of us. Somebody says something outrageous and our initial response is to fly off the handle and give it back to them. But our practice asks us to rise above that, to be spontaneous, but remain calm in our response. So 
something happened recently to me just this last week where, you know, people are, we're asking families and staff not to travel this week, which is our spring break, because things are still so uncertain. And even though they're vaccinated, uh, you know, there's, there's still plenty of room for error. So of course, I have a couple of teachers who live very far away. I mean, Argentina from their family. And one of them wrote back to me because I was saying, wow, you know, you're gonna be gone. Now your assistant's gonna be gone. This is not good. And this person wrote, well, you know, I've been working so hard this year. This is so unfair. It's like unfair. <laughs> so of course, if the person had been standing in front of me, I might not have been so careful in my reply. But because I was writing an email, I was able to rewrite it five times before being able to say, I'm really sorry this feels unfair, but this has been a year of unfairness. You know, my mother died last October and I was not able to go and be with her because first of all, it would have been unsafe. And second, if I had gotten sick, I wouldn't have been able to come back and take care of all of you as pandemic coordinator. So is that fair? No, but it is what is required. She was able to hear that. But if I had been with her, I'm not sure I would have been quite so considered in my response. Because I will tell you, people talking about unfairness is a trigger for me. So it's important to know what your triggers are because we are practicing this together. So maybe your trigger is someone complaining. Maybe your trigger is someone threatening you in some way. Maybe your trigger is not feeling heard. There's a lot of that going around. Not being, not being heard, not feeling seen, being put in some little box because on the basis of one comment you've made or, or maybe some political view you have, rather than being seen as a whole human being. So our practice is, is not to be perfect, even though you know this is one of the perfections. We are perfecting our practice. It is a work in progress. And I think maybe one of the places we get into trouble though, is thinking that we've always got to be patient but that is always the response we're supposed to have. No, it's, it's just like that famous Zen response. You know, what is the, uh, the main teaching of the Buddha? An appropriate response. And sometimes anger, not attached anger, but just clean burning anger is the appropriate response. So, there's, there's a wonderfully funny story, but it has this kernel of truth. A young female disciple undertook to develop the meditation on loving kindness. Sitting in her small room, she would fill her heart with loving kindness for all beings. Yet each day as she went to the bazaar to do her shopping, she would find her loving kindness sorely tested by one shopkeeper who would daily subject her to unwelcome caresses. 
One day she could stand it no more and began to chase that shopkeeper down the road with her upraised umbrella. To her mortification, she passed her teacher standing on the side of the road, observing this spectacle. Shame-faced, she went to stand before him, expecting to be rebuked for her anger. What you should do, her teacher kindly advised her, is to fill your heart with loving kindness and with as much mindfulness as you can muster. Hit this unruly fellow over the head with your umbrella. So the point is not that we are always patient, not that we don't have anger, but to be completely aware and intentional in our response. Yes, fill your heart with loving kindness and mindfulness. When I got that letter from that, that teacher, I remembered she's only in her 30s. She's very young. I have 30 years on her of unfairness. <laughs> and realized that I needed to be very kind to her and also try to help her see that she was not alone in having unfairness in her life. Because sometimes we have to say something hard in order to wake someone up. But mostly what we need to do right now is be as kind and patient with each other as we can be, knowing that most people do not have the training that we have in patience, in, in putting off self-gratification. If, if Zen practice has taught me nothing else, I think it has taught me about setting aside my own needs for the moment to take care of someone else's. So, back to Jill. Thank you, Misha. I just, um, a couple of things arose for me and then uh, I think we'd love to hear what's arising for all of you. But as you were speaking, um, I was remembering that the root of the word patience comes from the Latin that's related to suffering. And I think the thing that helps, and like you and your story about the teacher, the young teacher, that when we recognize that that person is suffering too, it makes the patients come a lot more easily. And the other thing that I was thinking of, and it's kind of related, is Peg's teaching of not yet. Right now, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know about all of you, but I've been vaccinated. Some of my friends have been vaccinated. You know, we just want to go do things. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet, because this is a really hard time to have that patience. Um, I went out for dinner last night. I hope it was okay. It was yet with a few friends that we've seen once during the pandemic and we're all vaccinated now. And we went to a restaurant and you know, we're the oldest people there by a good 30 or 40 years. And we turned to each other and we said, I think all those people are vaccinated. <laughs> so they don't wanna wait. 
And, you know, I don't want to wait either, really. I mean, I was there too. But patience. So it just, uh, for me, it just returns me back to my sitting. I mean, even sitting still, I know you say, Misha, it takes another person for us to be patient, but I, I can be pretty good at being impatient with myself <laughs> sitting still, but I suppose I can. There is that. Yeah, there is that. But it does teach us that. It is our greatest teacher. Well, I would just like people, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I just, I just wanted to add that that not yet piece that that's when, when I'm ready to respond, it's Peg's voice that I hear in my head. Not yet, <laughs> not yet. Because if I can listen to that, I, I can hold on to it for a little while longer and maybe my response will be cleaner. Well, we need that now. And Maybe send that teaching down to Florida and out to the beaches at Santa Monica. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder what it has been for all of you. I mean, what has been the practice for you this year? Maybe it's patience. Maybe it's something else. Um, you know, for our group, we've been able to go online. We see you are all here online and it's, uh, I was saying yesterday, we're getting very good at this. Let's not get too good at it so we can remember how we can be together again. But I just wanna open it up if anyone wants to share their, their practice with patients or just your practice this year. And Nico, if you will call on people. I see Susan. Susan, go ahead. I was actually just expressing gratitude and thank you. <laughs> I had to uh, I had to stop my video because my granddaughter called in the middle of your talk, Misha. Oh. And uh, sorry. Much more important than my talk, quite frankly. Had to had to grab it. So yeah. I appreciate the, the two of you being together. This is. Mm -hmm. A dual dharma talk and it's interesting format i'm appreciating that very much so thank you thank you well it, it's it's been a wonderful discovery for both of us i i think we talked about it once and we we might have done it once or twice before in the past but uh, i think it's one of the things that we will probably carry forward it, it's one of the little moonlight streaks through the boards mm -hmm. so okay thank you sis. thank you Randy, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I was thinking that you're talking about patience and, and patience cannot be practiced alone. And uh, I was just kind of noticing my, in my own head this past oh, year or so, um, not being out and about so much and interacting with people or seeing people and... Um, and learning from my reactions to those people, be it a fantasy, negative, positive, 
And then processing that is, is just a, a daily practice that I do. It's not going all the time, but uh, that's what kind of happens. But I, I find myself more <laughs> creating fantasies in my head with other people that aren't even there. You know, so it's just kind of like, uh, it's sort of like I still need to, to, to do that um, look, feel, respond, and, and feel how I'm responding. And, but it's just has been much more um, internalized. And, you know, that is such an interesting thing because, and, yeah. Yeah, because generally, um, I don't know about the rest of you, but once in a while, something will arise that happened a long time ago. And I can feel all the feelings coming up and I can be having that conversation in my head all over again. And, and I feel my adrenaline rising. And then finally, it's like, that happened a year ago. What are you doing? So, yes, you're right. In, in a way, then, uh, Randy, you're actually not alone, right? <laughs> you're up here with all those beings. <laughs> well, and, and Misha, I, I was going to say, actually, that because things have been stripped down so much, Randy, that you've maybe had an opportunity. As Misha says, that's, oh, I don't know, for me, that's always going on. And I don't have as much chance to sift through it. But when there's less of it, you can recognize, wow, I'm just making up stories about people. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And, and just trying hopefully to learn a little bit about myself because it almost feels like I have two voices in my head. <laughs> yeah. Is that all? Only two? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's, that's the basic. <laughs> yeah. And the reacting and then and in that situation, reacting or fantasizing and then just kind of something back there saying, well, what's going on here, Krimo? What's, what are you, what are you doing? Oh, that's, that's, yeah. So it's, 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 uh, and I think that that's <laughs> probably the main thing I think with that that practice has given me over the years is that that ability to step back, yeah, and just say, "Wow, that was interesting. <laughs> What's going on?" You know, so yeah, it's uh, yeah. So well, you, you bring up something else quite wonderful, actually. That you know, generally. Right, right now, we have this interface between us. And the same is true of email, and to some degree, even a phone call, as opposed to when we are face to face with somebody. Um, I think this is what our young people are discovering on social media, that when you're face to face, there are things that you still are not necessarily willing to say. Whereas if you're in this like vacuum of consequences, it's amazing the things that you're willing to say or do. And, uh, you know, I, I think young people have, have gotten really burned on social media because there are no direct consequences to saying it uh, or, or writing it. And, uh, you know, it, it's very, there, there's some wonderful inhibition when we're actually face to face with someone because we actually have to deal with them in a physical way. And so maybe we're a little more careful uh, about mm -hmm. our conversation. Mm -hmm. So thank you. You've given me a whole new thing to think about here. <laughs> Thanks, Randy. Yeah. 
Anybody else want to share with us their practice with patients? Pamela, do you, yeah. Thank you both for the talk. I really enjoyed it and also the comments. Um, when I think about the air, I think mostly about um, how hard it really is to fully embrace the first truth, the first of Buddhist truths, that the whole year seems like um, a wake up about that item, that we really are always thinking maybe we can get away with not really accepting the fact that they're suffering, that you know, if we just do this or we just do that, or maybe if we get the vaccine, we'll all be safe, et cetera, et cetera. And I really appreciate this, uh, the pause actually, that this pandemic has brought to maybe force us to be kind of wildly inclusive of everything. You know, even the stuff that we really, 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 really do not want to admit. I always think of these things as like a, cause I like to cook. <laughs> I always think of all these things that have arisen in the year as another person who's showing up at my dinner table. And I got to give them a seat. You know, I can't say, no, I'm not feeding you. That just, I couldn't do it. It's against my, you know, my whole being not to feed them. And yet I, I have to give them a seat. So I, I really um, have appreciated the fact that I have been forced to be, allow more and more of the suffering to be seen. And the other part, I really appreciate the tea ceremony lesson. I have another line that I use, which is wait for it, which I probably learned from my kids. Yeah. <laughs> the wait for it reminds me, you know, to breathe, to just breathe, because if I wait for it, then I can have a response that's, you know, not going to hurt anybody, including, including me. Mm -hmm. So wait for it is my line. Wait for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your kids must be in communication with mine. I, I do have that teaching from them as well. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's one of those, you know, when you look at all the Zen arts, tea ceremony, calligraphy, um, uh, Kudo, uh, maybe especially Kudo, you are waiting for it. Uh, you are, you are waiting for that perfect moment of complete awareness and attention. And, you know, the, the great thing about tea is that, you know, you can learn it technically, just like you can learn how to play the piano technically perfectly and still not really be doing it. And so it's kind of the same thing with patience practice. You can talk about it all you want, but the real, uh, the proof is in the pudding of when someone does say something really provoking, like, you know, to hell with you, what are you gonna do with it? You know, how can you do the not yet? I, I'll tell you one of the biggest practices I have, and those of you who go to Jokoji know exactly what I am talking about, is driving up 84 or driving down and having someone pass me on a blind curve. There is nothing that enrages me more. And there've been a couple times when I've either followed someone down or followed someone up laying on my horn the entire time to express my dismay. And it's just, it's because I was afraid for my life and I was afraid, you know, eventually for theirs, but um, it's not the best response. Right? <laughs> 
Um, so, so there are things in our everyday life that um, trigger us and to learn what those triggers are and be ready for them. I mean, that's why we call it a practice after all. Uh, we're always practicing. We're never actually in the recital until that moment. I want to add, though, you know, sort of related to what you were saying, Pamela, that um, yes, the first noble truth is in our face all the time, but also this, um, I guess it's related to Thich Nhat Hanh's uh, use of the word inclusiveness, how we are all included in this, the, the truth of interconnection. And so there have been some aspects of this year that have been really uplifting. I, I was um, realizing uh, we take walks in our neighborhood and um, you know, unless there is uh, like the earthquake in 1989, no one talks to anyone, unless you have a dog. For a while we had our son's dog and then suddenly everybody would talk to us. And, but now people, even though we're going across the street and you know, avoiding people, there's so much more waving. And there's so much, I feel like so much more patience on the road and in the grocery store, because I think there's this feeling of, oh, we're sharing this. And the difficulty, again, with the not yet, Misha, is as we go back, how easily we may forget. So at least as practitioners, you know, I'm hoping that has been embodied in us more and more through our practice this year. That, that real truth that we really depend on and can include everyone. It's, a, it's challenging, but it's true. <laughs> it's just true. Thank you for bringing that in, Pamela. Anybody else? We just have a few more minutes if somebody wants to make a final comment or two. I just wanted to really thank you because I really needed to hear this today. <laughs> um, you guys have all entered my world in the past year or two because living with a husband who has multiple myeloma and other complications for nine years, you have to be really careful about infection and um, so we've always been living kind of like there's COVID and now you're all with us. <laughs> of course, it is different, but, um, but uh, you know, it's difficult being a caregiver for someone with such a long lasting and incurable condition, which only gets more complicated. And just recently it's become complicated with um, diabetes, which is caused by one of the drugs, the dexamethasone. And my husband is not very aware of foodstuffs. He didn't know what a carbohydrate was. And I've had to be very patient and I haven't always been patient just lately. And I just really needed to hear this today. And I wanna thank you very much. So, so Jackie, one of the, and first of all, I just feel for you, you do have not just a daily practice, I'm sure a moment by moment practice of patience. And when you just said, you know, I haven't always been able to be, one of the aspects of this practice is forgiveness. 
Mm -hmm. I can't practice. Even though we call it the perfection of patience, it's not perfect. We practice with all our raw edges. So I, I hope forgiveness will seep in there for you. And I just, I bow to you and, and your, your husband, your practice, your, I'm sure, devotion and dedication. Yeah, we did a little forgiveness this morning. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I was grumpy yesterday. Yo, well, I was grumpy too. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that actually is, is the beauty of our practice, I think. I was saying this yesterday when I talked to our group that, you know, our practice allows us time for self-reflection mm -hmm. and something may arise in our zazen. And then we realize, oh, I, I need to clean that up. And so to be to be particularly, I think, to be patient with ourselves because you know, we aren't always going to be patient. We aren't always going to be joyous. <laughs> you know, it's okay. We are de facto, we are always doing our best because that's what we can do in that moment. So um, yes, like Jill, I, I bow to your incredible, and this, you have an incredible practice uh, and, and it's, in your face all the time. It's not something that you can lay down at some point and say, okay, I'm done with this. I'm tired of this. This is, this is what you have. So uh, I, I wish you um, all good love and bows for this practice that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jikoji, please visit us on the web at jikoji.org.